In week one, we nearly had both Kansas schools lose to FCS teams, but Kansas State avoided that grim fate by a field goal. In week two, a pair of Florida schools had their own dalliance with disaster. FSU came perilously close to falling at the hands of Samford. That's Samford with an M as in mango in the middle, not an N as in Nancy. And Dan Mullen's Florida Gators, well, they lost to Kentucky. What ails these proud Sunshine State programs, and what should we expect as they move deeper into the 2018 season? It's September 10th. My name is Connor Tapp, and you are listening to the 24-7 Sports Morning Blitz. Florida lost to Kentucky on Saturday night for the first time in 32 years, falling to the Wildcats by a score of 27-16 at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. Thomas Goldcamp of Swamp 24-7 joins us now to discuss the implications for the Gators' 2018 season. Thomas, I know you've written a couple of pieces about the game. How difficult has it been to kind of tease out the implications of this streak breaking from, you know, Florida, looking at it from Shirley, uh, Florida lost to a team with X, Y, and Z qualities, and that team just happened to be Kentucky? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, uh, you know, Florida players at this point are going to have to overcome kind of the mental hurdle that comes with uh, how the fan base reacts to that. Obviously, you know, losing that game, uh, for the fans, probably sticks out a little bit more. Uh, seems seems you know much more negative than they were hoping entering the Van Mullen era, and so you know it's up to the Gators really to figure out how they move past that and really don't let this one loss start to affect the entire rest of the season. What are the areas of the team where they need to get better in order for this to become a building block season that uh, Dan Mullen and company can go into year two with some momentum? I think there's really two spots. I think first and foremost, the offensive line has to get better. Um, I think Florida offensively has a, a little bit more of a plan uh, than it maybe had a year or two ago. The problem is there's, there just has not been enough execution on the offensive line. You know, the Gators have not been able to push anybody around. And you saw that last night against Kentucky to where, you know, Florida couldn't get anything going on the ground. And so eventually they just kind of had to turn things over to Felipe Franks and let him try to win the game. And that is not really a recipe for success with where he's at in his phases of development. Um, the other the other main issue I think you see at Florida is um, some poor recruiting at, at linebacker and safety over the last couple of years have really left the Gators pretty um, talent deficient in those areas. And you saw that show up against Kentucky uh, with them being able to rush for over 300 yards. So until Florida is better in those two areas, it, it's kind of hard to see this team making a huge jump and, and I don't know necessarily that even, you know, the offensive line is something you can really fix in season. So it'll be interesting to see how, you know, Dan Mullen kind of adjusts and and tries to get something out of uh, you know, those problematic units. Anytime a coach in Dan Mullen's position is coming in and taking over a program that had some serious problems the year before, there's he's obviously going to give in be given a lot of rope, but just given the things that Florida has been through with Muschamp not working out, with McElwain not working out I mean, how quickly could things get, I, I mean, no one's suggesting hot seat, but how quickly could things get kind of dicey here? I mean, you've got Colorado State and Tennessee coming up, and uh, are those must-win games now? Where are we at? Uh, you know, I don't think, it's hard to say anything's a must-win game in year one. Uh, like, like you said, you know, the way that things have panned out with the last two coaches, Florida has basically paid out um, somewhere in the range of, I think, 22 to $24 million dollars. Uh, to buy out those staff. So, I mean, th- this is not a situation where Florida can, you know, turn around and fire Dan Mullen in two years, I don't think. Um, 
you know, there's not a whole lot of guaranteed wins on the schedule, but I think, um, you know, Florida fans are just going to kind of have to accept that this is going to take some time. And, you know, talking about the issues we talked about, the offensive line, that's not something that gets fixed overnight. It's not something that maybe even gets fixed in the span of a year. That's something where you have to start recruiting guys that fit your mold and kind of have that aggressive mentality. And then you've got to develop them in the weight room. So, you know, I, for Florida, I think it's really more about doing whatever they can to win as many games as they can this season, even if it's ugly, even if that means they only win seven or eight, so that you can start to recruit those guys that eventually are going to be your long-term fix. All right, Thomas Goldcamp is a Gators beat reporter for Swamp 24-7. You can find him on Twitter at Thomas Goldcamp. Thanks, Thomas. Yep, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Florida State did not lead against FCS Samford until Trey McKitty caught a five-yard pass from DeAndre Francois to put the Seminoles in front 29-26 with four minutes left in the fourth quarter. The Knolls did end up winning 36-26, but it was a pretty stressful night in Tallahassee. Brendan Sinone of Knowles 24-7 joins us now. Brendan, how stressed out were the fans at Dope Campbell Stadium sitting through a weather delay to watch their Knowles trail for 90% of that game against Stanford? And how important was it for Willie Taggart in the early days of his program that this ultimately ended up being a good result for him? All right, so so one, uh, that was FSU's first lead of the season, not just of the oh, game, wow. but okay. three games. That was their gig because they never led against Virginia Tech. So that, you know, FSU's led for four minutes so far this season against the Virginia Tech team that, you know, well, including those two games, they never led against Virginia Tech. But, yeah, they played a Virginia Tech team that doesn't have a ton of, uh, of experience back on defense and doesn't have a very dynamic offense uh, based on what we, we at least saw last season. And then against, yeah, FCS Sanford. So that that is concerning and I think pretty indicative of, of this season and the start so far for Florida State. Uh, to answer your question about the relief the fans had, when Trey McKinney caught that pass, uh, there's a, the camera angle on the TV you could see went over to the fans in the student section. They're all hugging and embracing each other, those who stayed through the weather delay and the just really long, terrible game. Uh, they're hugging and embracing. Like it, it, it's funny, like how far FSU is from where it wants to be. That they're celebrating this game against against Sanford, this win. Uh, but yeah, to what it what it means for Willie Taggart, man, that, that a win's a win. Uh, relief, uh, you get you get that win, that first one, and that could be elusive sometimes. Uh, it wasn't pretty. I don't think there's a whole lot of silver lining to it other than you get the win, uh, and that's certainly better than the alternative. Uh, that's the most positive way I can I can spin, spin that game. How did Florida State's defense force five turnovers against an FCS team and still not have the game put away until under three minutes left in the fourth quarter? It's a mystery. I, I was just actually before... Uh, before I jumped on the podcast here, I was rewatching the game, and I have Chris Mee with me now. And my, my colleague at Knowles Twenty Four Seven, we're we're going to do a podcast in a little bit, and he's rewatched it. And man, the whole thing's so confounding. Like it, it doesn't make sense when you look at the the box score and and trying to put the you know, the pieces of the puzzle together, like where the breakdowns are happening. Now, I will say, in terms of like what the the defense was able to do. Uh, started off very poorly. Uh, Delvin Hodges, the quarterback for Sanford, is the truth. Like he's one of the most prolific passers in FCS history. You see why he's unorthodox. He's kind of like a poor man's Brett Favre. The way he runs around the pocket and makes these crazy throws. He just kind of flips the ball up there, and it somehow gets 30 yards downfield. It's a weird hitch pass that he, that he has. He has a weird hitch in the throw. 
Uh, but but he was able to beat Florida State defenders one on one, and it was some really nicely thrown balls, along with some good scheming that that got wide receivers open downfield. They were aggressive. They ran tempo. FSU was coming off in a short week. Now the defense ends up kind of figuring it out in the second half. Uh, they force what was it uh, three interceptions in the second half alone, including the pick six that Levante Taylor has uh, to kind of ice the game in the final couple minutes. And they do it by, they didn't sack Hodges once, which is uh, the fan base is frustrated with, but they were able to pressure him and force him, you know, this gunslinger mentality. Again, a, a poor man's Brett Favre. I'm not comparing him to Brett Favre other than some of the playing style, but uh, they're able to force him into making some really uh, just inopportune throws downfield and, and FSU capitalizes on it. So that, that's where the turnovers come come from. But then, you know, the offense kind of took, you know, offense and defense took Trump's playing good and bad and not sustaining uh, consecutive drives of, of being good together and complementary. And so that's how you know the defense gets those turnovers. The offense doesn't really capitalize until the very end of the game. That that Trey McKitty drive that that you alluded to, Connor, that's kind of where they came through. But it just was discombobulated and not in sync with offense, defense, special teams playing together. And again, this is. Uh, this second game in a row now in the Willie Taggart era where the pieces just haven't seemed to kind of mesh. I know after Saturday night, FSU fans will probably be feeling like nothing is guaranteed, but in theory, at least with games coming up against Syracuse and Northern Illinois, you've got a chance to pick up some wins and build some confidence before you get into the teeth of the ACC schedule. What Between now and then, what are the biggest areas where this team needs to improve in order to have more success during the heart of that ACC schedule than they've had through the first two weeks? Yeah, man. Um a lot of a lot of areas. There, there's there's a lot of areas that they need to build on and and improve on because, like you said, this is kind of the easier part of the schedule. Uh, if you don't come out, you know, beating beating Syracuse and Northern Illinois doesn't get any easier. You got to go up to Louisville. You have to go to Miami. Um, then the back half of the the schedule, you have games at Notre Dame, at rival Florida to end the regular season. You never know how that's going to go. Clemson, uh, and I think it's October. I'm trying to think of what else at NC state, which is always tough for FSU for whatever reason, it doesn't get easier, uh, for this team though, to kind of get some direction. Most important thing to offense has to find an identity and an identity that that's positive and, and something that you can be cohesive with. Uh, the one thing I think they do. Okay. Right now is Deandre Francois can get the ball downfield. He can attack the middle of a defense at a pretty efficient rate and get some chunk plays. They have to find something to complement it though, whether it's perimeter passing outside, whether it's getting the run game to be a little bit more consistent and finding cam acres, uh, somehow getting him in a role where he's more comfortable and getting some momentum as a runner, instead of being uh, kind of an East West guy, uh, whether it's getting Deandre Francois involved more as an actual runner to take pressure off of, uh, the rest of the offense and a, and a pretty porous offensive line. I think that's objective number one. If you do that, uh, the defense starts becoming a little bit more consistent, and I think you've seen more good things out of the defense right now that, than the offense by far. Uh, special teams is a mess right now, man. Ricky Aguayo is one of four. He missed both field goal attempts within uh, 42 yards against Sanford on Saturday. Uh, the return game hasn't looked smooth. They just lost their top kickoff returner in Kalen LeBorn with a dislocated knee, and uh, it doesn't look like he's going to be back anytime soon. Uh, so, so the main thing I think you can control is finding a couple of counterattacks on offense to, to complement DeAndre Francois' ability to, to push the ball a little bit. If you do that, uh, that at least gives you some reason for optimism, although uh, I think we're grading on a curve at this point. There's not a whole lot to be 
really, really upbeat about. One thing to be upbeat about for FSU fans is that uh, Florida ended up losing to Kentucky. Did that did that boost <laughs> spirits around? I think that the timing with the delay that ended up happening before the Sanford game ended, so that that boosts the crowd spirits a little bit. Man, right now, this fan base is freaking out. They're obsessed over turnover backpacks and <laughs> and just the offense looking in that like. It's one of the rare times where Florida State fans aren't taking a whole lot of solace in other programs around the state or you know, within the footprint of, of Florida State football's rivalries are struggling right now. They're, just, they're not. They're so preoccupied and concerned because there's so much enthusiasm. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. This is just fan base is really concerned right now. And, and, and I'm also on four hours of sleep, too, from covering, <laughs> from covering the game. So, so maybe I'm projecting a little bit of, of, of my uh, – being being a little uh, a little negative, but anyways, yeah, there, there wasn't a whole lot of of people getting excited about Florida losing to Kentucky. Unfortunately for Florida State fans, I think if they step back and enjoyed that, yeah, that would that would give you a little something to, to feel better about. Because right now, man, there's uh, it's bleak in Tallahassee. Now it's still early in the Willie Tiger era, and and you're learning a whole new offense. And maybe there's reason why things can turn around, but but right now there's no evidence that it's going to. All right, Brendan Sinone is an FSU beat writer for Knowles 24-7. You can find him on Twitter at bsinone. Thanks, Brendan. Thanks, Connor. In terms of consistency, the Morning Blitz went through some growing pains after week one, but like the coach at your favorite school, the Morning Blitz just needs time to sign its own players and implement its system. So we will be back in your podcast feed tomorrow morning with the biggest college football stories of the day, all in a tidy 10 to 15 minute package. You can subscribe to The Morning Blitz on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.